Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith using the Belgic Confession of Faith as our guide. This week, we'll consider the doctrine of the Trinity, that is, that the God whom we worship and serve is one God in three persons. And in that connection, I invite you to turn with me to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13. Second Corinthians, chapter 13. Hear the word of God. This will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time and now being absent I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again I will not spare. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me who is not weak toward you but mighty in you. For though he was crucified in weakness yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be made complete. Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness, according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. This ends the reading of the Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of His Word to our hearts. Dear friends, we come in our study of the great doctrines of the Christian faith to the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. And four articles are devoted to this subject in the Belgic Confession of Faith. Article 8 summarizes what this doctrine teaches. Article 9 sets forth the proof for this doctrine. Article 10 asserts the divinity of Jesus Christ. And Article 11 asserts the divinity of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we consider this doctrine, we must acknowledge from the outset that we are standing, as it were, on holy ground. For who is able fully to describe, much less explain, how God can be one God and yet exist in three persons? It is one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian faith, and one that can never be fully comprehended in this life. The great church father Augustine once said that we can no more comprehend the Trinity than we can empty the ocean with a teaspoon. 
Now, this has led some to say that we should not concern ourselves with such matters. The doctrine of the Trinity, we are told, is so abstract and theoretical, even philosophical. What matters is not whether we understand that God is triune, but that we have repented of our sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there is, of course, some truth to that. Understanding this doctrine of the Trinity, however, is absolutely vital. Let me give you two reasons why we should study this doctrine. First of all, because God has revealed that he is triune in his holy and infallible word. And the fact that he does so means that he desires us to know this about himself so that we can know him better and love, serve, and worship him more faithfully and fully. In fact, if we do not accept that God is triune, then we cannot be saved. For then we worship a God of our own making and not the true God who has revealed himself to us in the Holy Scriptures. Another reason why we should study this doctrine is because the doctrine helps us to appreciate our salvation. There's a tendency in the church today to think of salvation as exclusively the work of Christ. And many hymns are written from this point of view. But the scriptures teach that salvation is not just the work of Christ, it is the work of the triune God. Every person of the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, plays a distinct and vital role in our salvation. We should know what those roles are, if only so that we can more fully appreciate what God has done and will do for those who believe on his name. In his commentary on the Belgian Confession, theologian P.Y. de Young says this. He says that the doctrine of the Holy Trinity is foundational to the whole realm of revealed truth. When obscured or rejected, the whole structure of the Christian faith and life is warped. No one knows God in the fullness of his divine works as creator, redeemer, and sanctifier unless he recognizes God as triune. End quote. Well, with that in mind and God's help, let's consider this doctrine of the Holy Trinity as it is summarized for us in Articles 8 and 9 of our Belgic Confession. So my theme is the Holy Trinity, and we'll see that it, first of all, contains a great mystery. Secondly, it is built on a solid foundation. And thirdly, it conveys a blessed comfort. The doctrine of the Trinity is concisely expressed in Article 8 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. And there we confess two things. First of all, we confess that God is one in essence. I quote from the Belgic Confession. According to this truth and this word of God, we believe in one only God who is one single essence. End quote. You notice we believe that God is one single essence not because that's what the church teaches or because that is what some great theologians from the past have taught, but rather because this is what the Word of God teaches. Scripture, not the church, tells us what we must believe. Scripture is our only authority for doctrine and for life. And on this point, the Scriptures teach that God is one in essence. Now, what does that mean? Well, when we say that God is one in essence, we mean that he has one being. Although, as we hope to see in a moment, God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is only one God. 
And that's exactly what the scriptures teach. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, we have the record of the so-called Shema, which is the basic confession of faith of the people of Israel. And the Shema is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So it's clear from this verse that there is only one God. And this very verse is echoed in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6, where the Apostle Paul says, But to us there is but one God. And so the scriptures are clear. We worship only one God. There is only one God. Now the second thing we confess in this article is that God exists in three persons. Again, I quote from our Belgic Confession of Faith. According to this truth and this word of God, we believe in one only God who is one single essence in which are three persons, really, truly, and eternally distinct according to their incommunicable attributes. Now, when we say that God exists in three persons, we mean there are three self-conscious and distinct individualities or subsistences in God. And we call these individualities the Father, who is the first person of the Trinity, the Son, who is the second person of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Holy Trinity. And what distinguishes these three persons from each other is what our confession calls their incommunicable attributes. Now, when we say that each person of the Trinity possesses his own incommunicable attributes, we mean that each person of the Trinity has attributes which are uniquely his own. In other words, they are not shared by the other two persons. So the incommunicable attribute of the Father is that he is the cause, origin, and beginning of all things. And all things means both in the realm of creation and in the realm of of redemption. They all have their origin in the Father. The Father was the one who conceived of creating the world and everything in it, including man. And he was also the one who devised the plan of redemption, the means by which fallen sinners can be saved. And so everything depends upon and finds its origin in him. The incommunicable attribute of the Son is that he is the word, wisdom, and image of the Father. And when we say that he is the word of the Father, we mean that he is the one who reveals the Father. He is the full revelation of the Father. When we say that he is the wisdom of the Father, we mean that he is the personal and effective manifestation of the Father in all of his works. And when we say that he is the image of the Father, we mean that he is the perfect reflection of who God is in all of his attributes. Well, thirdly, the incommunicable attribute of the Holy Spirit is that he is the eternal power and might proceeding from the Father and the Son. Now, when we say that the Holy Spirit is the eternal power and might of God, we mean that he is the one who brings to completion all the plans and the purposes of God. The great mystery of the Holy Trinity is that these three persons are united into one holy and divine essence without any mixture of persons between them. Hence the name triune, which means three in one. Our Belgian Confession puts it like this, and I quote, God is not by this distinction divided into three since the Holy Scriptures teach us that the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost have each his personality, 
distinguished by their properties, but in such wise that these three persons are but one only God. Hence, then, it is evident that the Father is not the Son, nor the Son the Father, and likewise the Holy Ghost is neither the Father nor the Son. Nevertheless, these persons thus distinguished are not divided nor intermixed, for the Father hath not assumed the flesh, nor hath the Holy Ghost, but the Son only. The Father hath never been without his Son or without his Holy Ghost, for they are all three co-eternal and co-essential. There is neither first nor last, for they are all three one in truth, in power, in goodness, and in mercy. Here the statement is made that the three persons of the Holy Trinity are all three co-eternal and co-essential. We could add the word co-equal. By co-eternal, we mean that there never was a time when one person of the Trinity existed before the others. All three persons existed from all eternity. They have no beginning and they have no end. By co-essential, we mean that all three persons partake of the same divine essence. So they're all three equally God. And by co-equal, we mean that all three persons are equal in relation to each other. There's no hierarchy of persons in God. Now, admittedly, as I said before, this is not an easy doctrine to grasp. It is and always will remain a great mystery. And some have tried to explain this by way of analogy. And so the Trinity has been compared, for example, to a tree with roots, a trunk and branches, just as a tree consists of three identifiable parts, a trunk, roots, and and branches, yet there is one tree. And so it is said God exists in three persons and yet remains one God. St. Patrick, when he crossed the Irish Sea to convert the Irish to Christianity, reportedly explained the Trinity to the heathen tribes living there by comparing it to a three-leaf clover. And interestingly, the three-leaf clover is still a symbol of Ireland today. But in the end, all of these analogies fail, for there is nothing in creation that can compare to God. God is far above anything in this world. He cannot be compared to anything. He is utterly unlike anything we can ever see or even imagine. Isaiah 40, verse 18, Isaiah asks, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? Now that's a rhetorical question, and that means that the answer is obvious, and the answer is nothing and no one. Now, dear friends, the question is not whether we can explain God, for we can't. But the question is whether we believe in him. As he has revealed himself in his word, do we accept that he is three in one? I said what I said earlier. Unless we believe that God is triune, we cannot be saved. For then we worship a God of our own making. And so I ask you today, do you believe in this God? Now maybe you say, well, before I can believe this, I need to know that this is what scriptures teach. What's the proof for this doctrine? On what foundation does this doctrine rest? Well, that leads me to my second point. The word Trinity is admittedly nowhere to be found in the Scriptures. It was actually coined by the church father Tertullian in the 2nd century AD. Now, although the word itself is not found in the Scriptures, the doctrine certainly is. In fact, in Article 9 of our Confession, we have several Scripture proofs for this doctrine. The first is taken from Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. 
And there we find these words. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now you notice the plural pronouns. Let us make man in our image. What we have here is an example of inter-Trinitarian communication that is a discussion taking place within the Trinity itself. God, presumably God the Father, proposes to the Son and the Holy Spirit to create man in their image. And although this text doesn't prove that there are three persons in God, it does indicate that there is more than one person in God. It also indicates that these persons are united in one divine essence. And we deduce that from the singular nouns likeness and image, as opposed to likenesses and images. Also from the fact that the word God is in the singular. It says God, not gods, plural. This is the pronoun referring to God. It says there, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, male and female, created he, them. And so right at the very beginning of the Bible, God introduces himself to us as one God who exists in a plurality of persons. But what is left somewhat obscure in the Old Testament is more clearly revealed in the New. Our confession mentions several verses of the New Testament which clearly indicate that God is triune. We think, for example, of Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17. We read there that when Jesus was baptized, he went out straightway out of the water, and it says, And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So here we have all three persons of the Holy Trinity represented. The Son who was standing in the water, the Holy Spirit who was represented by the dove, and the Father whose voice sounded from heaven. Another verse that's mentioned in this article is Matthew 28, verse 19, the so-called Great Commission. This is when the Lord Jesus commanded his disciples to go out into all the world and teach all nations. And then he added these words, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So there again you have reference to all three persons of the Trinity. Luke 1, verse 35 is also mentioned here. That's when the angel Gabriel says to Mary that the Holy Ghost, that's the third person of the Trinity, shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest, that's the first person of the Trinity, shall overshadow thee, and therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. That's the second person of the Trinity. Earlier we read from 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, where we have the so-called apostolic benediction. And Paul again mentions all three persons of the Trinity, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now we also have one more reference and that's from 1 John 5 verse 7. And there John says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now this last text is somewhat problematic because it's not found in the oldest manuscripts. And for that reason, you won't find it in the RSV or in the NIV or the ESV. But it does express a biblical truth. What is more, the argument for the Trinity does not rest on that text alone. For as we've seen, there are many other texts 
that prove this doctrine. And so we conclude that the doctrine of the Trinity is not a human formulation. It is not something that is made up by man. It is the very teaching of Scripture itself. But the doctrine of the Trinity does not rest on Scripture alone. Our confession goes on to say that we know that God is triune also from their operations, chiefly by those we feel in ourselves. Now, by operations, we mean the particular task or function of each of the three persons of the Trinity. The special task of the Father is the work of creation. The special task of the Son is the work of redemption. The special task of the Holy Spirit is the work of sanctification. And the point that our confession is making is that every believer experiences these operations in his or her own heart and life. For example, we know that God is Father because he created us and he formed us by his power in our mother's womb. We know that God is a son because we have been redeemed by his blood from all of our sins. And we know that God is Holy Spirit because we are being sanctified, we are being made more and more holy by his power. And so our experience also convinces us that God is triune. And so the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, rests on these two solid grounds, Scripture and our own experience. Now we might think that with such grounds, there would be little or no controversy surrounding that doctrine. But alas, that is not the case. For centuries, the church has had to defend this doctrine against various detractors. Some of these detractors are mentioned at the end of this article. The Jews are mentioned here. The Mohammedans or the Muslims. Some false Christians and heretics, most of whom lived during the first three or four centuries after Christ. Some of their names are Marcion and Manes and Praxius, Sibelius, Samosatanus and Arius. Now, it's not necessary to go into detail about what each of these people taught. Suffice it to say that each of these groups or individuals have attacked the doctrine of the Trinity in one form or another. The Jews and Muslims still do, as do, their, as do other heretical sects, such as the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. Now, over and against these detractors, our confession boldly declares, and I quote, this doctrine of the Holy Trinity has always been defended and maintained by the true church since the times of the apostles to this very day. End quote. In other words, the doctrine of the Trinity is not a recent invention, nor is it something that is believed only by a small minority. It is believed by the entire Christian church. Whether you're Roman Catholic or Orthodox or Protestant, we all affirm this doctrine without qualification and without reservation. In fact, anyone who does not affirm this doctrine is not a Christian and is not part of the Christian church. Now, to further reinforce this, our confession adds, and I quote, In this point, we do willingly receive the three creeds, namely that of the apostles of Nice and of Athanasius. Likewise, that which conformable thereunto is agreed upon by the ancient fathers. So here we're confessing that the doctrine of the Trinity is expressed in the ancient and ecumenical creeds of the church. For example, in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed. All three of these creeds, which are universally accepted by the whole Christian church, are decidedly Trinitarian in nature. And so in affirming this doctrine, we're simply standing with the church of all ages and all places. 
Now, our belief in the Trinity then rests on this solid foundation, and as such, it must be believed. Now, let me ask you, do you believe it? Having seen the basis for it, do you believe it? You know, if you don't believe this, you're depriving yourself of great comfort. And that brings us to our third and final point. The doctrine of the Trinity is of immense comfort to the believer in Christ. A reformed form for baptism puts it so beautifully, and I quote from that form. It says there that when we are baptized in the name of the Father, God the Father witnesses and seals unto us that he does make an eternal covenant of grace with us and adopts us for his children and heirs and therefore will provide us with every good thing and avert all evil or turn it to our profit. And when we are baptized in the name of the Son, the Son seals unto us that he does wash us in his blood from all our sins, incorporating us into the fellowship of his death and resurrection so that we are freed from all our sins and accounted righteous before God. In like manner, when we are baptized in the name of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost assures us by this holy sacrament that he will dwell in us and sanctify us to be members of Christ, applying unto us that which we have in Christ, namely, the washing away of our sins and the daily renewing of our lives till we shall finally be presented without spot or wrinkle among the assembly of the elect in life eternal. These are wonderful and comforting truths. How could we not want this God, this triune God, to be our God? For everything that we need, everything that we could ever desire is to be found in him. Well, is this God also your God? You know, that's only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. If we desire to have this God as our God, then we must repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus. And I wonder, have you done that? If you haven't, he's not your God. And as such, he is not for you, for you, but he is against you. And if he is against you, beware. For those who spurn his love will become the objects of his wrath, and they will perish to all eternity. But my friends, this same God comes to us today in his word. And he declares that he is willing to receive you to himself even now and to take him as your God. And those who do will never be disappointed. For when we have this God as our God, then we lack nothing. He will supply us in all of our needs. He will forgive our sins through the blood of his Son. He will sanctify us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, he will receive us into glory. And there we will live and reign with him forever. Oh, may we learn by God's grace to humble ourselves before this God, to embrace him, to love him with all of our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our strength, and to walk in his ways, for this is the way to eternal life. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at Banner of Truth, that's all one word, Banner of Truth, at frcna.org. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. 
If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. Banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening. And now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.